So the story today is taken from Luke 24, but before we start, let's pray. God, we thank you that we know the end to the story. We know what happens. But we pray that you would speak to us further today through this story than you have spoken before. That you would maybe show us something new about yourself and about ourselves. Thank you that we have these stories of real people to show us how to live. In Jesus' name, amen. So it was Sunday, the day after the Sabbath, and the women went to the tomb, that tomb that had been closed up so well by the Roman authorities. And what did they find when they got there? But the stone had been rolled aside, and there were two shining people in there but no Jesus. When they said that they were looking for Jesus, the two shining people said to them, why are you looking for him? He told you that he was going to rise in three days, didn't he? Why on earth are you looking for him here? He told you he was not going to be here. Of course, they were absolutely terrified. They ran straight back to where the the rest of the disciples were in Jerusalem and told them what had happened. And of course... Possibly because they were women, nobody believed a word they were saying. What on earth are they on? Are they sniffing that frankincense again? That's crazy, crazy talk. In fact, it is dangerous and awful and disgusting talk because anything to do with dead bodies in that culture was considered anathema. You, you just didn't go there. I mean, those women would have had to go through a lot of cleansing rituals after they had done what they were going to do to Jesus' body. But, of course, there's one person who always needed to see what was happening. So Peter ran back to the tomb, and he saw also that it was empty. But he didn't see the shining people. He had no idea what was going on. On the same day, two of Jesus' other disciples, one of them called Cleopas and potentially his wife, we're not sure, were walking from Jerusalem back to their home in Emmaus, about 10-ish kilometers, something very easy for Donna. I mean, she could do that in her sleep. And Debs. Um, They were walking along and, of course, talking about what had happened. Incredibly sad. Their Messiah had died in the most awful way. And poof, I don't know how it happened, but there was Jesus next to them, walking beside them. For some reason, they didn't know who he was. We're never told exactly why, and I suppose we can imagine why they didn't know who it was. They weren't expecting him, were they? But, okay, they were walking along, and um, Jesus said to them, in the way that he often had, so what, what are you talking about? He knew exactly what they were talking about, but he wanted them to say it. And they said, you must be the only person who's been in Jerusalem the last three days who doesn't know what we're talking about. Jesus of Nazareth, the man we thought was going to rescue us for the Romans, has just been killed in the most horrific way by the Romans. He's been crucified. And now the women who went to the tomb to anoint his body came back with this cock and bull story that his body had been stolen. We have no idea what happened. And Jesus looked at them and he said, 
what are you talking about? Surely you know that the Messiah had to suffer and die. It's all over your scriptures. And then he spent the whole rest of the walk opening the scriptures to them, talking about what was written about the Messiah in the scriptures. They had never heard it like this before. Well, I mean, obviously they had. They'd heard it from Jesus, but they weren't expecting to hear it from some random stranger on the street. And again, as Jesus' way often was, he pretended that when they got to their house, he pretended that he was going to walk on. And they said, no, no, come in, have dinner with us. And as was the custom there, the visitor broke the bread and said a prayer before the dinner. And at that moment, they realized who it was. They realized it was Jesus. And we don't know exactly why, but we can have a lot of theories about it. They realized as Jesus was breaking that bread, as he had before, that it was the Messiah. Not just their friend. And again, poof, he disappeared. We don't know how. So, of course, the first thing they did was they ran straight back to the disciples. Are we seeing a bit of a, a, bit of a pattern here? There's a lot of running around and a lot of poof, and suddenly. So they ran back to the disciples. We were walking along. This guy was talking. We had no idea who he was. He told us all these things. We weren't angry with him. He was tell- telling us we were idiots, but we weren't angry with him. And then dinner, and then bread, and then poof. And while they were talking and giving this incredibly mixed-up story, there Jesus was again in the midst of them, in the midst of his disciples. And can you imagine the fear in their hearts? What would have they been thinking? That he's come back to life. In these days, we'd be thinking zombie apocalypse, vampires are real. What? This is crazy. Crazy. But what does Jesus say to them? But peace be with you. He's definitely got a great sense of humor, does our God. Peace be with you. I'm a dead guy. Brought to life. Okay. And he shows them that he is a human body. He still has his scars on his hands and his feet. He still has his scars on his side. And even more so, he can eat. He asks for some food. The most human of things. He shared food with them. And he shared much more with them. In the story in Luke, he actually um, goes back to heaven quite quickly. But in other Gospels, we're told that he spent a lot more time with his disciples, teaching, um, journeying with them a little bit longer. But one thing he did say to them in that upper room was, you are going to be the center of a new movement. It's going to start right here in Jerusalem and it's going to go all the way through the world and nothing will be able to stop it. And he said, you're not going to have to do this alone. All you have to do is wait here in Jerusalem and after I'm gone, I'm going to send you a helper and this helper will be my Holy Spirit. And this is the Holy Spirit that I have been filled with all the way through my ministry. So this Holy Spirit will help you and all of those people 
in all the ages in this movement that I will start through you. And then he does go. But we, do, we know that the story carries on and we are going to carry on for a couple more weeks telling this story. There are so many things. But I, I want to just raise a couple of things out of that. The first thing that all of those people wanted to do when they saw Jesus, or when they saw not Jesus, was go and tell their friends. Go and tell people. It is so important that this news that we have, this good news that we have, that we have to tell other people about it. But there's a, a lot of guilt sometimes around this, isn't there? The idea that we, we must be telling people all the time. And sometimes it's even difficult to figure out what is the good news. As uh, Will and I went to see a film yesterday, and it was pretty awful, but um, we... Uh, one of the, the big themes in it was um, religion is rubbish, everything that people tell you is rubbish, and the great news is that you can live your life exactly how you want, and your body is your own, and basically everybody else can go away. That's the good news that we are being preached at, preached every day from a lot of different sources. Um, when Will and I were at the... Um, Edinburgh Festival, we went to hear this guy, Michael Burdett, talk. This is not Michael Burdett. This is, this is Bilbo. Um, he was talking about a singer-songwriter called Nick Drake. Now, some of you may have heard of this guy. He, is, um, he died in the 70s. He was about 27. He was a, a very... He sang lovely, lovely songs, um, beautiful. He really was not very famous before he died. But after he died, something happened, and, and people realized that he was actually quite a musical genius. And so people, a lot of musicians find him one of their main, um, one of their main sources of inspiration. He's one of these kind of tortured souls, and nobody really knows a lot about him. But people love him a lot. So this guy, Michael Burdett, is a, a music writer. And he, when he was learning his trade, he found a lot of music in a skip out the, back of a, out the back of his office. And one of the tapes was an original tape of a Nick Drake recording that had never been heard. So it had obviously just been chucked away. It was dusty on a sideboard somewhere. And then somebody decided they didn't need it anymore. So it was a new version of a song that had already been released. And he was really excited about this. He's a, very much a geek as far as, um, as, far as Nick Drake goes. He, he loves it. And um, so he really wanted to share it with everybody. But Nick, Drake, Nick Drake's um, estate, the people who manage his estate, says, say, no, you can't release it. You can't show it to everybody because Nick is not alive to say whether or not he wants that. So this is, this is not going to be possible. But you can, you can show it to one person at a time and let them listen to it. They're not allowed to record it. You can put it on a CD yourself and show it to one person at a time. And that is what he did. He actually went round Britain making strangers listen to this Nick Drake recording. Some of them knew who Nick Drake was, some of them did not. 
And it's, this book is, is all about the reactions that people had to this song. And many people were absolutely entranced by it. He's a really good singer. There's something quite ethereal about his music. But all the way through this talk, I kept thinking, that is so incredibly sad. I mean, it's, it's both incredibly inspiring on one hand, because he took something that was good news for him, and he wanted to share it desperately with everybody. But it's incredibly sad, because we have the very best news in the whole world, and yet we don't always feel that excited about sharing it with people. And I've been wondering why. And I think sometimes we have this picture of an evangelist as some shiny-suited, usually man, um, at the front of a large crowd of very um, gullible people asking for 50 pounds, and he'll pray for you. But that is not what an evangelist is. An evangelist is so much more than that. An evangelist is each of us in our own way. Maybe it's somebody who, I'm not looking at anybody in particular, Brenda, but somebody who, who sits at the bus stop and talks to people almost every day. Maybe it's somebody who really loves visiting people in their homes. Maybe it's somebody who likes helping people um, by giving them bread, actual literal bread. Maybe it's somebody that you know. Maybe it's somebody who actually feels quite uncomfortable with doing lots of church stuff and would rather be outside talking to other people. An evangelist can be anybody. I wonder if you're thinking of anybody in particular who loves talking to people. Maybe an evangelist is somebody who just likes telling stories. We've been doing that quite a lot, haven't we, in the past weeks? And um, maybe you're thinking, well, I couldn't do that. But you tell stories about yourself many days, maybe. Maybe you tell stories about a good book that you're reading. We've each got that potential within us. And um, at the moment, I wonder if you're, you're feeling kind of excited about the idea of telling other people about Jesus. I mean, this whole, actually, the whole concept of telling other people about Jesus, what are we saying? What is the good news? That's also something we need to figure out. What is this good news? With the Nick Drake recording, it's easy enough. There's a concrete thing. I've got a new song. Please listen to it. I think it's great. With the ladies who um, found Jesus not in the tomb, they had something they had to say. Jesus is not in the tomb. Where is he? With those two at Emmaus, we saw the Lord. We actually saw him. And he told us this. The disciples also saw him. So what are we saying to people? What is the good news? And annoyingly, I'm not actually going to give you the answer, the answer because I think it can mean different things. But there is one thing it always means. The good news is not a thing or specific words or a formula or an acronym or any of that stuff. It is a person. It is a person. 
and the best way to tell the good news about Jesus is to tell people stories about him. It's just drop it into conversation. My favorite one is always the parables about lost things because I'm always losing things. So, yeah, use, use your current situation. We do actually have a lot, of, a lot of very specific ways that we can, we can um, use this, that we can be evangelists at the moment. I don't know if you've noticed that there are some lists at the back of church of different organizations within our parish. Well, in, is it next weekend? Weekend after that. The weekend after next, it has been designated as a national weekend of prayer. And one of the things that we've been asked to do as churches is to go around the different organizations within our parishes and ask them if we can pray for them for anything specific. And I don't know if that feels scary or interesting to you, but have a go. There is a, there's a whole list back there and lots of empty spaces. And you might want to put some extra um, organizations on there as well. So I was persuaded that, um, to write the gun shop on there because I was told that, that the guy who runs it is actually quite nice. But it's such a horrible shop. I haven't been in there yet. So uh, last week, I went around all the funeral directors and asked them, how can we pray for you? And do you know what? Nobody yet in my whole life has ever said no to me when I've asked if I can pray for them. It's a very simple question. And sometimes people are totally stumped. Somebody asked for nice weather. I mean, we, we are told to ask for what we need. So yeah, it, it's a challenge. And one that I, I pass to you. If you would like to do it, take one of these little cards, or maybe a couple, put your name down, on one of the organizations and uh, see what happens. I'd be interested to hear your story. I would love to. And if you know anybody that you think fits some of the criteria for being an evangelist, um, I would also really love to hear from you, either myself or Danny. If you could come and um, talk to us about it, don't worry, we're not going to put you on a rotor because that's not what you do to your evangelists. Um, there is, though, an evangelist network that is starting in Guildford Diocese. And that's one of the best ways to get better at, at um, being an evangelist, is talk to other people who talk about Jesus a lot. I know a couple of people that I am going to be suggesting might go to this first meeting. Maybe you're thinking, I can't do any of that. I don't want to. And you know what? That is okay. But I have to remind all of us that like in the story, like throughout Jesus' life, Jesus always chose people who were flawed, who were sinners, who fell down again and again. He chose the women who nobody would listen to as his friends, as the first person people to, to witness about him. He chose Peter, who we know denied Jesus, three times and made so many mess-ups even while Jesus was there. He chose those people who were walking on the way to Emmaus who didn't even recognize him. And he chooses each of us. Sometimes when I think of myself and the things that I've done, I think there's, there's no way God could choose me to teach other people about himself. 
but he has done that because he has chosen each of us. And it's not just under our own steam and because of our own personality skills that we do this. It is because we are filled with that Holy Spirit that Jesus promised us.